Shiver me timbers! Oh dear. This week we're talking about seafaring campaigns. I apologise. Welcome to We Speak Common. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Oh. Hello, Joe. Benjamin. Straight in today. We are straight um, in, mate. Some fun little tidbits going on in our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday I was in London, mm-hmm. visited a few RPG shops, uh, did go into Forbidden Planet, I know, big chain, but Phoebe was in there with me, who obviously plays in our game, uh, my other half, who is the most, uh, the complete opposite of what you'd expect a D&D player to be. And there's that one shelf with all of the D&D stuff on, and she just sort of stood there like she was proudly guarding it <laughs> and uh, then she started walking around going oh babe have you heard of this really good podcast called We Speak Common very loudly and I was like I appreciate the craft thank you but I it's am. also a little bit awkward <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, wow just such natural baked in advertising there yeah I know I loved it Oh, excellent. Um, spreading the word. How are you? I'm very well, mate. I just played uh, Star Wars game yesterday, so that was good fun. I'm glad you bring that up, because me being the the guy that's like, no, don't do not do anything that's not D&D, Ugh, hiss, I uh, have actually started looking into a, um, it's an RPG called Tales of the Loop, or mm-hmm. t- Tales from the Loop. Yeah, where you play as like kids, didn't you, yeah. running around, it's basically Stranger Things, the I'm game. I'm really keen, I'm, um, I'm thinking, I don't know, you, do you, would you ever give it a go? Yeah, I'd have a go. I, I have watched a um, like a one shot oh, let's play of it, so I have like a rough gist. It's built on. So they play scenes rather yeah, than like an ongoing. Yeah, narrative. it's very narrative based. Mm. It's, I think it's kind of based on the same system that like oh, Blades in the Dark is made of, yeah. which is like this kind of assassiny, thiefy kind of game, which mm-hmm. is also really cool. Um, it's basically like you roll. You only have d sixes. Yeah, you have d sixes, and basically. You say you have like a four in a skill or whatever. That you would roll. You, four you would roll d6. four d sixes, and I think a five and a six Are is a success. success. Obviously, yes. the more d sixes the roll, the more chance you've got of succeeding. Yeah. Um, and then if you roll, I think two sixes, it's like a crit. Um, okay. So, it, that's so I'm cool. not. I'm not that far in. I've started reading the uh, what would be like the handbook slash DM's guide all put together in one. Um, I've started reading that, so I'm sort of reading the history on it now, like the law. Um, but yeah, I'm really keen on running that, so I'm going to pitch that to some other guys of the group. Yeah. Um, when I've got my head around it, but I'm keen yeah. on trying. I've that. always wanted to play Blades in the Dark. It's basically yeah, like it's me basically too. like Dishonored, but um, uh, an RPG, RPG essentially. Yeah. Also, I, I this is the problem with going to shops. You see all these other, other RPGs you want to play. Um, Cyberpunk Red now has a start kit. 30 quid oh, I didn't even know that was out yet oh yeah it's out and I, I nearly bought it and I was like uh, do I have time but I really want to play that so I'd be keen on running that for us or, or even just playing in it if you wanted to run it I don't know yeah. this, the, I mean the takeaway is there's so many RPGs out there there's not enough time to play D&D let alone all these and I had ones. a great time with the Star Wars one yesterday what's been really cool actually is um, Hulk uh, DM for Star Wars his, mm-hmm. uh, his player group's actually quite big um, but it's just happened as because we play like basically like once a month that every um, every time we've played it's just been with like a different person yeah and because we're playing Age of Rebellion um, where you're obviously part of the Rebellion mm. you, it's quite easy to drop people in and out narratively you're like oh they've just been assigned on just another a mission different sergeant they're yeah. off you know off going over here or they've been given these duties so I've actually played with like a different guy or a different set of group of people each time that's cool so it's been my character's been like the one constant going through that's quite cool yes yeah, so it's been pretty fun um, and it's uh, yeah the story's like it's funny because it was just started off as a one shot and now the story's like really ramping up up a little bit yeah um my guy again just continues to suck at everything 
bar swinging a lightsaber. Yeah. It's just Which one, is what you, it's it's one skill. What you want, and it? you can't really do it because, you know, it's sort of illegal and everything. Yeah, you can't actually just do that in the open. Yeah. Um, I played uh, the Descent into Avernus game. Uh, for It's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded. So uh, I'm playing in that game with Wesley, who made a surprise appearance in one of the last two episodes. He is a rogue. I am a warlock. We don't see eye to eye. Very typical for us. Um, and we were in a situation where we had rescued five children and three adults. Mm. Is that nine? Yes. And then no, there that's, was... That's eight. Maybe six children then. It might have been six children. And then there, were, there was a lot of children, basically. That's the important <laughs> bit. <Yeah. laughs> and then there's the three of us and we're in this small room and we are stuck in this room, which is basically a, a grave for this holy person with a weapon. And there's a demon on the other side with two hellhounds that can breathe fire, I'll have you know. It's really kicking off, Ben, um, it sounds like. He couldn't come in the room, wanted the sword. So I was like, right, okay, I'll give you the sword. Wesley's character's like, no, 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 don't give him the sword. Typical, spent the whole session in this situation. Wesley... Uh, decided to attack. I'm sort of with Wesley on this one, to be honest. It sounds like giving him the sword's not the best. But here's why. Because these hellhounds were ready to breathe fire, like literally reaction ready mm-hmm. to breathe fire and kill all of the children if we didn't give him the sword. Mm-hmm. Wesley attacked, all of the children died, all of the NPCs died, and then it got to the point where I was like, okay... Wait, what's Wesley's character? What's he playing? He's a rogue who wants to be a wizard. Oh, okay. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> okay. um, he wants to be an enchanter. So... It got to the point where we were all about to die if we took one more hit. And I was like, right, well, I'm just going to give him the bloody sword. So I gave him the sword. And Wesley attacked again. Killed our favourite NPC. Mm-hmm. Nearly killed us. And then, and I had to text Wesley after the game and was like, look, mate, I don't know where she's going to go. <laughs> Where's the line here? Stop being so aggro. Where's the line? Because I will kill you. Because, <laughs> you know, I will. And he was like, mate, I'll kill you too. It's fine. Um, oh, it's such a nice relationship. So we started the next session with me fireballing him. Oh, um, thanks for magic I am he didn't die though uh, nearly died demon stuff um, so yeah very interesting situation I've never been in before um, but I, to the to the point where I actually had to message the other why player why do all of our games devolve into PvP I know why, why does like, this happen here's the thing I said to Wesley and I said to James the DM I said I'm not gonna just outrightly attack him at the start of the session I won't do that so the start of the session so you fireballed him I walked away and I got the other character over and I said look I am ready to, to end him right now I can do it just tell me what like if you want me to do it I'll do it thinking she'd be like no let's not do that let's not be rash she told me to kill him so I tried to kill him <laughs> you know standard standard manoeuvre but yeah so very dark at the moment uh-huh. very dark is the actual book good or it, does, I mean, it sounds like you got a lot more extra stuff going no, on no this is was the actual main this was all stuff fun? from the book um, no. what's quite interesting is I wasn't sure I knew obviously going in that we would go to hell like that's kind of the storyline I didn't know how to, yeah. yeah I didn't know how we would do that are so you that in was, hell yet? yeah yeah, yeah so okay. we're in the city of Elturel which is in hell spoilers I guess for Descent so how many sessions did you spend in Baldur's Gate? Uh, we probably spent well we just did session 12 and we spent three sessions in hell so right. we probably spent so a fair bit to do in one Gate, session then. in Candlekeep um, technically two sessions in Candlekeep because we got there did stuff then end of the session then we were there and then we left so we probably spent about six or seven but mm. one of them was extra because there was a there's there's a, a hook for these pirates and when you kill the captain if you kill the captain you get his key for his cabin and I said let's go and claim the boat as our own so that I don't know maybe if we want to continue playing after Baldur's Gate we can do some Ghost of Saltmarsh stuff James you've got the book um, so James went right okay I'll go and plan what's happening on that boat so we had a session where we did some extra stuff speaking of pirates Ben 
Yeah, I know. We're going to become pirates. Did you like that? Which Did is you like uh, that segue then? Helpful, isn't it? Yeah. This is what you call oh, professional mate. podcasting. I was wondering where that where that hand <laughs> hand gesture was going. You were like, keep going. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. Speaking of pirates, we've got a couple of uh, listener pirates in the room. Oh, yeah, you and me. I mean, our teenage days on the internet. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't admit to that. No. We've got <laughs> we've got some a couple of messages. One of them's quite a quick, snappy one, which I think we'll leave towards the end if we've got time. Uh huh. But um, M has been in contact with me on Reddit, and the subject is seeking pirate slash seafaring campaign advice, which I like. So they have said, uh, well, they said I want to be. I want to say I'm a few, huge fan of the podcast. So thank you very much, M. Um, you'll have prompted me to think more deeply about campaigns and how to make the story more player-driven and the world more intricate. Oh, my God. Which I think... My I mean, heart soars like an eagle, Ben. We can just end here. We've, <laughs> yeah. we've achieved our goal. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, I was wondering how, and I like the fact that they actually put you all, um, you all would tackle a Pirates of the Caribbean-esque setting, leaving it up to the player whether they want to be lawful mercenaries of the fantasy Spanish Royal Magic Navy or to mutiny against them and become archety- archetypical pirates trademarked i'm having problems coming up with or finding pre-written adventures that don't already have this assumed uh this is the first time i'll be making my own world so i'm intimidated by the level of detail i may have committed myself to setting wise do you have any advice on map making p.s obligatory sorry for the mobile formatting it's fine M, because i also am on mobile um i did give some uh, very brief advice but i said we're going to talk about this so i won't tell you too much mm-hmm. um so off the bat, all I've said so far, well, what I'm just thinking now is obviously Ghost of Saltmarsh is worth picking up because it's got all those seafaring rules in there. If you don't, that want to is make handy. Yourself, that is helpful. very handy. Um, and then I said, uh, definitely going to tackle the topic with Joe. Um, check out. I said check out Saltmarsh for some rules and some. I put whip maps. I don't know what I meant there probably a typo um with seafaring adventure i'd advise making a few maps of islands or archipelagos to use get some sea encounters maybe players or uh maybe pirates or the law on the waves or why not a dragon turtle or a kraken or a sunken temple there's loads you can do so that's kind of my well i have a few things here one uh go look at strongholds and followers and look at the uh alternate rules for a ship as a stronghold Yes. That is awesome. I completely forgotten about that. Yep. That is awesome. It's so I think the coolest part about being either pirate or Spanish well, there's nothing cool about being Spanish, but there's <laughs> oh, <laughs> hang on. I don't know how much of our listenership comes from it's, Spain. It's alright, it's not as bad as being French. Okay. Well um, okay. <laughs> Each views are our own. <laughs> I quite like the French. No, I'm fully representative of the podcast. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> right, fine. Um, but I think that one of the coolest things about it is you have this mobile base of operations, um, which is yours, which you can upgrade, you can build. The coolest part about like Assassin's Creed Black Flag is upgrading your ship. Yes, you know, hands down. You have this thing, and the the only downside, like to like strongholds and followers in that book is that you know it having a base and upgrading it whilst awesome is sort of antithetical to the normal assumed play of D&D of going mm-hmm. out on adventures mm-hmm. it's a, a downtime thing but when you can just roll your base along with you on your adventures it's the, always there yeah you sort of get the best of both worlds so i think there are a couple of ways to do this because you can either 
you either start off where your players are already in a crew and and maybe that's where you start and that could be a fun way to just instantly blow up boom you're on the seas you've been doing it for a while you've all got the sailor background etc etc um uh, maybe one day they might get to the point where they can have a ship i feel like the only problem with that is they're very much stuck by what their npc captain wants well, what i like is if you're if you're going down, say, the pirates' route, or the they're an independent, right? They're not part of an organisation as such. Trading merchants, um, yeah. I like the idea of giving them a ship, but they're indebted with, like, say, 30,000 gold for the ship or whatever, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. like, very expensive. It's a big ship, it's expensive. Reminds me very much of, like, speaking about Star Wars, like, Edge of the Empire, the obligation rules. So yes. everyone has an obligation, a debt that they need to pay off, mm-hmm. and you can call upon that debt in-game as a DM to create story beats and ideas and, hook in. and moments yeah. and things like that so I like the idea of you know first of all the players are already on the back foot they're already the underdogs because they've got this big debt and you definitely want to make sure they've bought this ship from like a loan shark or something like basically, that basically you want them to and buy make it from him an Tim actual Nook. shark man you know just because oh, why not a uh, D&D there's animal got, crossing there's got to be like there's got to be like a shark uh, race they could be a triton yeah you know or something like that but um so I think that's one way to go. If they're going to be part of the uh, Spanish Inquisition uh, as such... Um, no one would expect it. <laughs> no one would expect it. But I think that's another interesting way you can go. And I would really play into the fact that they are part of an organisation, right? So they've. Yes. I think you then have the dichotomy if they've got to uphold these certain rules of the organisation to be professional. They have jobs to do. But they also have to get the job done. Yeah. So there's this dichotomy there, if you will. And that can cause some interesting gameplay. I think that in terms of world building the geographical landscape of being on the high seas makes things actually a lot easier for you than if it was just a single landmass because Mm. you can build histories and locations and worlds and they can be very um, isolated and in their own bubble. You can almost imagine like each island is its own little... um, Almost like demi-plane, right? It doesn't yeah. have to necessarily be too connected to everything else. Yes, yeah, every now and then there are visitors that come from yeah. across the waters. There'll be yeah. obviously there'll be overarching uh, themes, and controlling, yeah, yeah, and controlling factions that might hold multiple land masses. But if you're in some sort of uh, archipelago setting, you can have okay. I want an island where I have say some sort of uh, kind of Aztec-y based. Um, primitive civilization that's made up of druids and witchcraft and yep. you know and spear fighters and stuff like that um, and they're in constant battle with an evil force which is maybe like a I don't know a, a, the Yonti a, 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 yeah, that yeah Yonti, with uh, like Yonti necromancers right yeah and uh, maybe there's a final twist that they're they're controlled by like a, a necromancer or something right so you could have this this little thing going on but you don't have unlike in a main in a sort of larger landmass setting, you don't have to worry too much about how this affects other stuff because it's mm-hmm. only really it's localized to the island. Mm-hmm. So players can go there, spend some sessions there, explore these factions and things, and leave. And it doesn't really put too much um, pressure on the DM to have these um, overarching consequences. Now, of course, the more um, in depth you get into this setting and the more you live and breathe in the world you can have these cross pollination of cause and effect from different islands affecting other mm-hmm. settings etc mm-hmm. um, maybe you, they take a, a visitor from one yeah. island to another and, and you want some sort of overarching yeah. force I love the idea of having like uh, a bit of like a pirate's coven so you're all pirates but you're all loosely based 
in a single faction of pirates, you know. Yeah. And you fight each other and stuff like that. But there is a, you know, I love the idea that you could become so powerful that you get called to like the the pirates, you know, kind of meeting. They're they're, you know? they're Aratiza. Yeah, yeah. Their little their little powwow. So I have a couple of thoughts. I think with let's take the players out of the equation for a second uh, and I'll get to that in a minute when we're looking at the world and the setting um, remember that this campaign if it's going to be all focused on the high seas is going to be or, or the low seas I don't know is all going to be travel based I don't know if that's a, a I thing I don't know either I don't know it's all going to be about travel. So I think when you're creating your world, the one thing that I never do, and I really should, is I should nail down very specifically from the beginning, it takes X amount of days to get from here to here. And it takes X amount of days to get from here to here and here to here and then from there to there. And that's important because if you're on the, a boat traveling from island to island... <laughs> Excuse me, it's, it's a ship. Sorry. Benjamin. If you're on the ship mm-hmm. moving from island to island, you are probably going to end up in the position where they're like, oh, we've been here, let's go back there. And then if you say, okay, well, it took four days to get from there to here, now it's going to take six, they're, they're going to be like, wait, why? I don't mm-hmm. understand. So you need to nail that down. You need to lock it down, almost even though a lot of it's going to be C, you need to lock it down like a hex crawl, basically. Yes. Don't be afraid, I think, to have wide open sea spaces because that leaves for more fun. And I think what's... Um, and thinking more about it, I think what's very... Uh, generous of a seafaring campaign and a sea map is that you can just go one day i want there to be this thing this underwater temple and it's like right well i'm just going to put it here and you can say well it's been there since the very beginning and lie to your players and Mm -hmm. give them that that feel of constant ever going well building like you know everything but really you put it there last night when you were planning like what the hell are they going to do this session we've spoken about this before about how you can move planned things around and Mm -hmm. put them in front of the players now you know and when you do it skillfully it looks very planned from the beginning and gives that illusion of of real tangibility to the world so much easier to do so much easier when it's all underwater (laughs) yes exactly so you have you you give yourself a lot of tools by um, playing in this setting um i love the idea of just you know, kind of like a, um, almost like an, an underworld, if you will, to the seas. Like so, but the only way to travel there is to go through like a certain storm that's always in the same that's few cool. hexes. That's so cool. if you can battle through the storm, then you appear and the world looks the same, but you're actually in, like the upside down, if you will, sort yeah. of thing. I think um, one more thing about the sea that I will say before I go into the land, because I don't want to forget that that is important um, when you're talking about a seafaring campaign, is that it is very deadly and. I think you need to be very upfront with your players. What are you going to do if they go through a storm and their ship sinks? They're they're dead. Mm. How are they going to survive that? So if you saved want, by Atlanteans. Well, here's the thing: if you want a way for them to survive, you really need to think about that before the game even begins. Mm. You need to have that in your back pocket if you want them to have that one get out of jail free card. And there's plenty. You got you got Atlanteans. You got mermaids. You got Tritons. Tritons. You know, there's lots of different things that um, maybe. Uh, an undersea void woken god called Ukatoa that uh, wants her to be freed from his I like the role, I like the know. idea yeah I like the idea that um, okay you, you die at sea or you quite unquote die at sea but you don't die you, you're rescued you wash wash up on a beach maybe the whole party wash up on the beach you don't know how but now, but, now, but now you're indebted to some underwater sea hag yeah. who saved you now, oh I like that and now that. you've got to start doing missions for them I like that you know, and so the players are constantly under pressure by these different factions um, just to get under you know sort of under the thumb from them so let's talk a bit about the land because that is important uh, I think you need obviously the majority of your map is going to be blue but let's think about the areas 
that players need to go to every now and then. It's kind of like downtime, but it's not because really your downtime is your traveling. Your downtime is, okay, running the ship cleaning the ship uh, doing things while your crew are doing that stuff for you that's your downtime but there are going to be times when you need to repair your ship or you need to get supplies or mm. you need to hand in or collect a mission for I think I mean for me I think gone. if I was going to set up the map I would have it where just for instance say like east to west right the players start the campaign in the east right and that and just on the very edge of the map is the main land mass and that's where you start in a big dock or whatever mm-hmm. this is civilization that's and a the, city and the further you move west um, perhaps the less dense the islands get the more lawless the, the more lawless and it just gets more and more wild and harder and harder to survive so it's like um, it this is like a real deep cut reference, but you know, like RuneScape, right? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you know when you go into like the wilderness, right? You go over, here. you go over the wilderness boundary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then like you, you can die and lose all your stuff, yeah. and uh, the stakes are real. <laughs> and there's PvP, but and you can go, and the further and further you go north, like the more heinously dangerous it gets for your character. Mm-hmm. Um, you want it to be like that but at sea so I think you you have this feeling of and then when the players go out on a mission they go really far out and then they they limp their way back they just survive you want them to have that like that pure relief when they see the the dock land you Mm -hmm. know in sight civilization again yeah Yeah. and you start seeing maybe you start seeing the Spanish ships and you're like oh thank god you Mm -hmm. know I mean civilization we're Mm -hmm. back and I think you can really play with the the players emotions there I think that's really good I think you should have a uh, a light and a dark too so you've got the the city the civilization you need that that Tortoga you need that Aratusa that place that is just for the the lawless of the sea the pirate's Mm -hmm. cove that's always a good place to have and those places should offer things like quest givers and places to upgrade and rebuild the ship after you've had a fight with some pirates or or a kraken or something like that. You need to have those places because that kind of ship repair can't happen while the ship is at sea in motion. It's mm-hmm. just not going to work. And there's a lot of cool things you can do with having a mobile base. So obviously, yes, upgrading it, more cannons, faster sails, all stuff like that. To, a nicer figurehead. The qu- the quality of life life changes, right? Yeah. The, the players are really going to appreciate after they've felt the pain of having a slow ship or whatever right and uh, not that skilled crew I'd have it so your, your crew sort of gets upgraded as you go along if they survive they get better at their jobs but because of the framework of D&D you can do a lot of cool stuff a, a savvy wizard like who's fairly high level mm-hmm. you know if I had a mobile ship I'm just going to be putting glyphs everywhere. One, you can put concentration spells on a glyph that you then don't need to concentrate on when they go off. So, in if you have glyphs, all like you have like the glyph room, and in in panic, you just have the fighter run through all the glyphs and get like four different buffs yeah. for, at once. You know, yeah. like so you have all these you have traps on the ship. So when you get attacked by you know undead sea skeletons, they start exp- you know getting vaporized by disintegration um, I like it glyphs and things and, and whatnot stuff like that I think would be quite fun I like the idea of having I, lo- I would make it easier to have permanent magical buffs on the ship like a um, maybe I don't know like a permanent Liaman's tiny hut or something like that that you could work towards installing on your ship yeah um, stuff like that this is the thing I think it should start off the players should start and, and regardless of whether it's their ship or whether they work on the ship and I don't know maybe the first story arc is that the captain dies and I am the captain now you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, thank you uh, mm-hmm. it should be a crap ship in comparison to what they're gonna get 
mm-hmm. if they put the time and the effort in. And if they if they start saying like, "Well, my boat's rubbish," and you go, "Well, why uh, don't you?" Excuse me, Vincent. No, 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 no. I used it correctly this time. If they start saying my boat's rubbish, Whoa. you say, "Well, why don't you upgrade it into a ship then?" Whoa. And then they start realizing, "Oh, this is something we can do." Well, thank you, thank you. I th- that came to me just then and there, <laughs> um, much like many of my D and D encounters. Um, so you know, and and I feel like we're jumping from topic to topic, but it's all it's all relevant, and it all it's it's a big mm. mixing pot. It's a big chowder of seafaring stuff. Um, you know, the ship should feel like its own character, and it and and if you read into strongholds and followers and you read into creating dynamic bases and homes and mm. things that players want to protect and come back to there are ways to make that base that sh- ship that that place lovable mm. and part of their character. one thing I would say as well is random encounters are going to be a big part because there's going to be lots of encounters you'll need to have when you're on the high seas clarify random or pre-planned random? well here's the thing because the thing about these quote-unquote random encounters, what I mean by that is just encounters that happen seemingly at random. Not part of the story. When you're on the sea. Yeah. But I think the, you can use those as a real narrative tool to um, make your world feel, feel more realistic, more cohesive, and have it make sense. Mm. And so when you're thinking about these, these quote-unquote random encounters, utilize them in special areas that make sense. So, for instance, a bunch of harpies come and attack your ship maybe you save that random encounter for when the players are at sea and they're really desperate and they're running low on supplies and they need to find land and they're lost well if they get attacked by harpies the harpies must have come from somewhere which so means which means there's land somewhere so mm. then you go there and okay and maybe there's this big story with the harpy queen on this one island right so you've used a random encounter that has then kicked off an adventure and even if they don't follow it up it still makes sense in the world and then maybe a player two sessions later be like oh that's where that land comes from oh that's where those harpies come from mm. and when they have that little light bulb moment it's like whoa the DM has made this all make sense here's on a thing. level that I'm not even thinking about here's the thing as well you can have all these different islands on your map that you've made and not know what's there until later because you can have an, if you're going east to west like we said earlier you can have an island that's all the way on the west side that you know is going to be something really big and dangerous and not know what that is yet and leave that open for maybe some plot point that comes up during the game that's generated by the player's uh, you know intuitiveness so don't feel like you have to have everything pre-planned just maybe the first five or six mm-hmm. that they're going to come across but I think there's lots of really cool stuff you can do I like the idea of having an island um, with a just like continually continually flowing um, like river that spews out into the sea that comes and, from a decanter of endless water well I, I was thinking it. so you maybe the players need to figure out a way of sailing their ship up against this current Right. all the way maybe they need to upgrade their ship with better sails or whatever use magic or whatever and then they get to the end they turn out in this cove it's actually a gateway to the plane of water or That's something cool. like that That's and cool. then that opens them up to another area I like the idea that okay so your players have sailed all the way out now they've got to sail all the way back and what they're just going to do the same adventure again maybe if they can find these gateways into the plane of water they can almost like teleport like shortcuts Going one port, somewhere go else one in portal, the, in, go out another island. portal, yeah. and go out another island. That's cool. So they can start opening up these gateways. I also like the idea that maybe they come out somewhere, or, or they get to the point where they come out and they're like, they, they're in. Maybe they're in the elemental plane of water. Maybe your elemental plane of water is much like the material plane where it has uh, above sea and below sea and they're like well there's nothing here and it's like because it's all below sea you need a submarine and then it's like how do we build or buy a submarine <laughs> because submarines exist in D&D too Jal Axel has one mm-hmm. um, 
uh, spoilers in Waterdeep. So you know they're, they're, that kind of technology does exist, mm-hmm. and I think. I like the I love the idea of like a portal, and you go to like the astral plane, and your ship is just floating in, in space, like, yeah, in, like, in wispy space. It becomes a becomes one of those, and then you go through like, you go through like another portal. Oh. Maybe you have to bargain with some githyanki yeah, to, you to get through another portal. You accidentally end up in the plane of fire, and it just burns, and your ship's gone forever. Yeah, 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 yeah that yeah. could happen. Um, don't don't do that uh, <laughs> unless you want people to be upset. I think. Um, I like, with, the, I, I like the, the idea of like a teleporting mishap and then your ship just ends up on the top of a cliff and you're like, well, how do we get it down? Damn. <laughs> or maybe one day you upgrade it to be an airship. I don't know. Like there's all of these options. And I think with that, you need to you need to have a plan for that upgrade. There are options for standard upgrades in Saltmarsh, which work with the D&D system. So use those. Look at things like Stronghold and Followers, but then get creative. Just have some fun with it. Why can't you have a glyph of warding that makes you move five times faster for three rounds? I don't know. You know, there must I, be a spell that does something like that. Tidal Wave. I love the idea that you could, yeah, get almost like a, um, I don't know, you could open up like a portal or something on the back of your ship to the elemental plan of water. It just comes like a jet ski. Water, yeah. like a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The front of the, the ship begins to come up out of the yeah. sea. Yeah. Um, okay. And I, we, I mentioned earlier that the, 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 the ship, the boat, whatever it is, at whatever level, should be a character that mm-hmm. stays with the party and develops over time. And that will happen because they'll put their own touches on it. Kind of like how you are with... Trosco Manor in, in Waterdeep it's becoming a character because it's becoming your personal version of that building mm-hmm. let's talk about actual characters start with the crew the crew should absolutely and we've spoken about it so many times each member or if it's a big crew each figurehead so maybe the first mate the the uh, woodworker the cannon master those important people not just the skivvies should have their own wants desires and needs mm-hmm. because What's fun with pirates and what's fun with shipfaring adventures is that you can have mutinies and do the players treat their their crew well? Yeah, and you got to pay them, etc. Do they pay them? Do they give them a cut of the riches? Do they tell them what they're actually doing? But they can also provide benefits, like for instance, if you get a cleric on board the ship, the uh, seafaring cleric. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe later on down the line, once they've leveled up, they can get, throw out death wards to the party when they yep. go out on land excursions. So you yep. can get little extra buffs, um, stuff I mean, like that. We would be amiss to mention Critical Role and their seafaring arc in Campaign 2. It is a good place for um, seeing some of this stuff. There's not a lot of it. Uh, I think a lot of that arc is focused on the players and their quests but there are there are interactions with crew that would be really valuable to watch there's um, encounters that would be really valuable I mean there's one where bless him Matt tried to get a boat to attack and they just sort of Mm-hmm. dealt with it in one turn well this is probably I mean any savvy player will realise if they're on a seafaring adventure that tidal wave is extremely broken yeah because there's a 25% chance you can just destroy a destroy ship destroy the ship yeah <laughs> and no matter the ship size you just destroy it um, so you've got to think about that stuff <laughs> yeah. there's another ship yeah, there's two of them <laughs> and you only have one spell slot um, so you know look at look at that watch that read up about it look at those those pieces of things that have happened that you can go and take it you know what's the word um inspiration from you can mm-hmm. you can draw from that stuff so the crew i think absolutely need to be these strong powerful characters that that mm-hmm. stay with the party and maybe they maybe they do have a mutiny or, or maybe they treat them really well and they are really loyal and then one of them dies and it's a heart throbbing moment you know there's a lot of stuff there 
heartache and and like oh no first mate jonathan's died ah uh, you know stuff like that the key is to make your players suffer and feel pain i think is is what we're getting at here that uh, um oh god everything's now twigging i understand your campaign mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. okay uh that's the theme that is the theme <laughs> is pain <Yeah. laughs> well i worked that one out a long time ago <laughs> yeah. um yeah so th- like we say there's, there's plenty of things you can do i think there's a lot of creative options and I would just I wouldn't be afraid of leaning into the tropes even more so than oh standard God, D&D yeah, because absolutely. why are you doing a seafaring campaign if you're not coming across hags and ancient civilizations and underwater temples and, and the Kraken and the Kraken maybe and, Cthulhu yeah you know and the Leviathans and you know if you're not going to if you're not going to do that stuff dragon turtles man what is really the point when was the last time you came across a dragon turtle in D&D I don't know they're so cool there's a dragon turtle in my world Ben there is a dragon turtle in the bay of uh, Port Naranzai in uh, Tomb of Annihilation and I cannot wait to play that campaign mm-hmm. I've been saying it for years I've made a dragon turtle in my world um, and yeah I've you, I don't think the players will ever see it it's <laughs> many many miles away from where, yeah. where the crew is yeah. but uh, you just got to chuck one in yeah. um, talking about characters uh, obviously make some really good land fairing characters but that's in our wheelhouse at this point and I think yours too if you've been playing D&D regardless of if you've been a DM or not you can make interesting characters um, I think actual PCs it's worth uh, in this case definitely running a proper session zero and saying look you're going to be on the seas you're going to probably want to go underwater at some point these are things you want to bear in mind when making your characters don't make them scared of the sea or do if you want hard mode you know someone bring a swashbuckler yeah <laughs> you know maybe they fight with color i don't know you know stuff like that um maybe have good animal handling if you want to have a parrot on your shoulder <laughs> the torch you know if you want to fill that trope stuff like that um but there's so much option for fun stuff with pcs pretty much anything they do can fit and when it comes to these tropes you can always spin it on its head because you have okay the standard trope but then you tuck you chuck the D skin on it mm. so okay you've got you know the pirate lord or whatever the but he's leg. a but he's a turtle and he's also a sorcerer yeah um so that just gives it a bit of a different spin you know yeah um there's lots of different stuff you can do like that again i like just leaning into the sort of dark kind of Cthulhu gothic horror you yeah. know the, the tentacle worms and the, the, the eldritch nightmares of the sea and you know so I would I would lean heavily into that the, especially the more west you get I like the idea of the more west you get from civilization um, the more mad things get yeah. um, and if you want to run a campaign that's like well everywhere's been discovered then there's lore everywhere then fine do that then 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 I think lean into the pirate trope um, but but your players might not want to do that they might want to be law abiding seafaring adventurers and if they are then pit them up against the pirates you know it's uh, what happens out at sea it stays out there unless the victor comes back and tells their mm. truth what happens at sea stays at sea Ben yes, literally if, 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 a, if pirates were attacking people at sea right now you and I wouldn't know you know mm. think of it that way civilization is not going to know until the person who survives comes back and tells their side of the tale mm-hmm. um, yeah so it can lead some very morally grey um Ambiguous which moments, I like. which you, know, you can you can stress the players with these uh, these difficult choices, mm-hmm. which I like. Um, it's pretty interesting. I like the idea of you. Okay, you're going to this. Um, you you have to go on this island. Your your ship's battered up. You need time to repair, etc. And it's full of these natives that aren't necessarily evil or good, but they do attack on sight because they don't know who you are, and you've just invaded their land. And yeah. so you've got maybe this bit of moral dilemma to deal with. Um, I, you know, I presume the, the the players will just fireball them all. Um, Maybe. 
which is the normal reaction of player characters. In I have one piece Dragons, of advice. When preparing to run a seafaring campaign, or when preparing to be a player in a seafaring campaign, mm-hmm. find some sea shanties you like, learn them. It's so much fun. I would love to play a bard that just starts the sea shanties on the ship every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like oh god, there's so many good ones. I mean, there's so and many then, playlists of them too. And then we go to the next level, and the sea shanties are actually secret codes to new quests and locations. Yes, then are the players paying attention? Clearly not. No, not. but there's there's so much you can do. I've here. been telling you about this quest in song for the past fourteen sessions. Please just just go. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. It's not made up. I mean, it is made up, but it's also real. <laughs> the lyrics are "Go to grid G14." Well, how much more clear do I need to be? <laughs> they have your names in the song at this point. Yeah, it's like every time you press play on the keyboard on the on the on the computer, they just start talking over it. And you're like, no, it's <laughs> not background music. Listen, it's happened to me before. Um, okay. Uh, anything else? I don't think so. I think this one. This is one of those topics that's so broad. Yeah, there's a lot you can do with it. Um, especially again, I like having the ideas of different portals, different planes, stuff spewing out into the material. You plane. really like adding the high fantasy element, don't you? But I do. But I like adding it in a way where it's no, no one knows about it. It's the unknown. Yeah. That's what keeps it almost low fantasy. Like if you think about Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is actually a very high fantasy setting, but it feels low fantasy because no one knows about the magic yeah. until like the last season, you know. So um, that's what I think that that dissemination of uh, info about magic and this more out there stuff is what keeps it exciting and keeps it fresh. And that's how you can have these old stories and myths and legends tie into the actual mechanics of this high-level magic play Mm. um, and have it still all make sense uh, mechanically and from the player's perspective and they understand what this is. And then you can realise... I I always like it when a player figures out, like, oh, this really weird myth or whatever was actually a a reincarnation spell that I I knew about, but I I didn't put the two and two together until the last moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not just something the DM has, quote-unquote, made up. It's part of the mechanics, but it's disguised in the way the DM's describing it, etc., which I think is quite quite fun. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'm just looking back through the Reddit messages, and uh, I I have realised I've got another message from M saying that they're actually playing in Ghost of Saltmarsh now so hopefully all of that is helpful to you and your DM <laughs> just pass the episode on M it's fine uh, they have said they're going to be because uh, this was the other quicker topic we were going to hit on at the end um, about running murder mysteries so they uh, are going to be playing some part in uh, an Erebon game which I've recently very very briefly read up on I do not know a lot so I think we tackle this more on how do you run a murder mystery and maybe how do you run a murder mystery at sea which would mm-hmm. be fun too you don't all player characters are very dumb and will not figure it out what don't run a murder mystery mm-hmm. just don't do it really I've yet to run a good one really <laughs> yeah I, I just feel like it's my my brain is like <laughs> these clues are so obvious these, these guys are going to get it and they're like I think it was the bartender I'm like it's not it's not the bartender. He has no arms. How would he have done it? <laughs> it's a great bartender. He was um, stabbed. How does this work? Did he headbutt him? Okay. Yeah. So I think meta mysteries are difficult, and I think they require a lot of planning mm-hmm. and a lot of contingencies. But I think the way you do it, excuse me, I had a cough, is uh, to use one of the techniques that I've brought up before, a long time ago on the podcast, which is plot keys rather than clues. So have your bits of information that uh, deliver onto the plot and uh, release 
more information to the players, but don't strictly put them in one place at one time. So let's say in your murder mystery, the murderer uh, is a man who always wears a red scarf. Okay, let's let's say that's the thing. So the clue would be, ah, our murderer always wears a red scarf and that's how we're going to identify him. Yes, the thing could be that they investigate somewhere and they find the red scarf hidden in a dustbin or uh, laying out in in a hallway. But they can't. The, the trick is they have to get through the the police cordon or they have to you know get up there first and they have to gain someone's trust to get up there. That's quite locked off to your players because they might not be able to gain their trust. They might not think to go there, etc., etc. But you can still have it. Just take the information. Oh, yeah. the murderer wears a red scarf and put it somewhere else. Maybe. Yeah, you need the, you need your plot hooks and keys to be malleable and yeah. movable. So um, maybe the bartender saw a man with a red scarf the night of the murder and he lets that information slip. Maybe the next door neighbour uh, saw someone uh, saw a man leaving and he was uh, a man that they saw arrive with a red scarf, but this time he didn't have a red scarf. Oh, that's that's enough of a... Yeah, but Ben, my players have killed both the bartender and the next door neighbour. Don't okay, ask well, me then... why they fell out. You need some new players. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they killing all of your NPCs, Joe? Why is that happening? Oh, I don't know. They just want to level up. <laughs> okay, well then, then you shouldn't be running this kind of quest for them, I don't think. I think maybe you should just be putting them in an arena and fighting a dragon. Yeah, that's true. And like we sort of touched on this before, but you need to watch out for things like um, scrying and a lot of the kind of divination magic that can kind of break a lot of... Um, in these kind of quests. the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica book, there is a stat block for a lawmaker mage who has, uh, who is a mage. I think they're a CR of five, maybe six or seven, something like that. But all of their spells are uh, geared towards crime solving, which is something that I uh, wish I knew about before I ran your heist in Waterdeep because I built my own lawmaker mage, basically, for Waterdeep, which was basically someone who's part of the city guard uh, and who is a bit of a bit of a bit of a gish not really they have swords and stuff but they also have books strapped to them and they can do things like hold person or they can do some scrying or they can do uh, an alarm spell or dispel magic this stuff that would come in handy for you know like let's cordon off an area where mm. a crime has happened we'll put an alarm around so that everyone knows if someone crosses or oh let's uh, oh stop halt stop running away whole person mm-hmm. so spells that would help yeah you can do them. stuff like that things like that and, but like I say you can have your I like the idea that say um, your murderer is a warlock and he has mask of many faces mm. so he's always disguised as someone else so even if you scry on them you're getting the wrong interpretation of who they are because mm. you're seeing their disguised version or whatever and, and stuff like that so that can then send you down a bit of a, a red herring chase and, and that sort of thing especially if they're disguised as another NPC at all times yeah you know um, and then you may be accusing the wrong person which and, is a lot of fun you know so there's there's lots of different things you do you can definitely do it at a higher level obviously I think murder mysteries generally work better in like tier 1 play yes where the players are actually having to use their, their, wits, their wits a lot rather than their magic and their, and mm. their swords and I think as well uh be prepared for them to fail because uh, one I think that can be a lot more fun than if they succeed and actually find the murderer because that murderer can come back up again I think we've mentioned that before they can kill again Ben they can kill again They can. They can. you could basically build a, a blooming serial killer storyline if you wanted to if they and we've talked about this before this is fun if the players can't figure it out taunt them Yeah. send them messages from the murderer yeah. Like you have you've not got me. Go watch uh, some like Ted Bundy documentaries. I don't know. <laughs> like stuff like that. Get get in the I mean don't get too far in the mind of the serial killers, <laughs> but but you know, there, there are some serial killers are bloody creepy, man, mm-hmm. because they're just humans. They're just people. 
very weird who uh, who enjoy doing these horrible things so you can really you can really lean on the horror side of it too mm-hmm. there's a lot you can do if this one murder mystery doesn't quite go to plan and I think you should embrace that and if you want to run a murder mystery at sea mate the murderer is one of us on the boat which one was it well love it big stuff kill all your crimes anyway I feel like we blazed through that mm-hmm. that went by very quickly um, and as ever I'm left wondering if <laughs> anything we said is helpful doesn't matter because we're going to go and play D&D now we and, are um, we're going to play D&D we're going to have some pizza and we're going to celebrate Bust, my, busting my, out the old paladin my day of birth I'm Bl- very excited pulling out the old greatsword um, you've yet to say happy birthday to me Jam. I'm going to cry I just came in and you just look so elderly now you know, I know just aged you know just the wrinkles, the they, I've started to use um, mm-hmm. like I came in and Ben was snoring on a Werther's original, and I just thought this is it, it's over for him. Back though. in my day, <laughs> we played Dungeons and Dragons at a table. Yeah. Um, so like, there's some stuff. Um, thank you for getting in contact. Uh, I hope that is helpful, regardless of whether you're running a seafaring campaign or playing in it, because there's information that tra- traverses both sides of that. It transcends. It does transcend. That's a better word than transverses. Thank you. I don't even think transverses is a real word. See, so the house office is already kicking in. <laughs> That's not funny. That's not funny. Who are you? Where, where am I? What year is it? Um, also, murder mysteries. Just have fun with it. Embrace it. Um, go for it. And if you're not M, uh, if you are not they then I hope this was enjoyable and helpful in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get in touch, if you want to drop in some topics like that, you can. We are on Twitter, at We Speak Common. You can DM us there. If you see some stuff on Reddit, it's usually probably me, so leave a comment and then you can message me. I'm still waiting for someone to tell me if the new Pathfinder is good or not. Yeah, we haven't had any info on that. I still really can't tell, and I can't really be bothered to read the whole book. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a thick book, and it's like £53. It's an expensive rule book. It is a lot of pages. Um, also, I'd like to know if uh, you're finding that old Pathfinder campaigns are compatible with the new rules. Yeah. That would be interesting to know. The three-action system is very cool to me. Yeah. We I should like we that. should get together and do a little test run of it, but it does mean reading the whole rule book, and it's a lot of commitment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, what was I going to say? The uh, 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 I thought You need to take your meds, or...? I had the Alzheimer's mate. I <laughs> forgot what I was going to say already. Who knows? Uh, oh, fun, exciting stuff. Uh-huh. We, Joe, will, at some point in the near future, have a website. Well, I know. We I, have no idea what we're going to put on there, but... I, I've got someone working on it, um, and I think you're going to like it. I think it's just going to be pictures of our heads. To be honest, yeah, plastered. on pikes. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest, it's just going to be a... Uh, a place where you can listen to the podcast if you don't use one of the podcasting apps but also download the episodes which has been requested we've been doing it for a year and a half we haven't worked out how to do it now I have so um, should you want to listen offline not on an app then that will be a place it's not quite set up yet um, but uh, it, it will be in the near future and I'll I'll let people know I'll do a tweet and I'll also we'll say it on here but hey we now own the domain we speak common.com so that's fine mm-hmm. the Four people who listen to this in the remote areas of Nigeria can now, you know, download the app. And <laughs> <laughs> download, go to the website. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that'll be fun. There was something else I was going to say, and I, it's really bugging me that I've forgotten what it was. Oh, age. Just... I'm just losing him, everyone. I'm just losing him, you queen. In my will, I'm going to leave my uh, 50% share of the podcast to, like, my sister, and she's going to just not know what to do. And <laughs> 
That's not legally binding, by the way, what I just said. Also, this podcast is uh, worthless. So, um, I yeah. mean, is it? Uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, we should probably. Yeah, I can't remember what I was going to say. So, uh, tweet us, follow us, etc. Have fun, uh, enjoy your games, and we will be back next week talking about more Dungeons and Dragons. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favour. Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.